It was a 65-0 win for Syracuse over Colgate today. Tyler Rickon coming to you from the Dome after that one. And Liam Griffin is joining me. He just watched the game, listened to the press press conference with me. Liam, what was your biggest takeaway from this one? Hey, Tyler, good to talk to you. I think the biggest takeaway for me was there's a ton of depth in the receiving room, at least based on what we saw today. I know you can't take a ton of stock from it considering you're going up against an FCS team that finished 3-8 and eight last season. But you have guys like Tim DeLong, Jumari Hatchett, and Isaiah Jones all make plays behind the two big guys in Gadsden and Alford. You need to see. Lost you for a second there, but absolutely. I think the wide receiver depth was certainly evident. Our good friend and uh, fellow Fizz member Ethan Frank was absolutely ecstatic, I heard, about Kendall Long scoring a touchdown there. Uh, he's a big advocate for Long getting more playing time, but even guys like Donovan Brown played well and played for a while. I'm thinking about wide receivers, not necessarily playing the wide receiver position. It was very impressive to see Demarcus Adams show off his shiftiness on those returns, specifically the punt returns. He looked very strong there, Liam. Yeah, Tyler, we don't know what the deal is with Trevor Pena, how long he'll be out. All Dino said in pressers this week was that he had an alley. He didn't really specify how long he would be out for. So if Pena is out for a sustained period of time, you have your go-to return man in Demarcus Adams. I'm not saying he needs to be as good as Devin Hester was when he played in the NFL, but having that lethal skill to your game makes him more threatening as a receiver as well, Tyler. I mean, we've seen Pena be effective as a receiver before. I know you're not forgetting that long touchdown pass against Clemson a few years ago. So, And one of our colleagues at another outlet tweeted out today that it wouldn't surprise him if Demarcus Adams ran a punt or a kickback for a touchdown this year. Tyler, it wouldn't surprise me either. It, it wouldn't surprise me whatsoever. I think finishing up the wide receiver conversation here, I just, I've got a phenomenal stat. So today, Damian Alford caught his fifth career touchdown pass. It was a 13-yard touchdown reception, and it was his first touchdown reception that was under 45 yards. The previous four touchdowns were 45 yards or longer, so some interesting stuff there. Moving around on the offense, moving towards Garrett Schrader, the stat line looks phenomenal. Uh, in terms of weaknesses, I do think there was there were a few underthrown passes, even passes that were caught. It goes down in the stat line as a positive play. There were a lot of receivers that had to come back to it, so I don't know if that's an accuracy issue or if he's still working through an arm thing, but I'd like to see a few more yards on some of those passes, Liam. Yeah, and Tyler, I mean, you mentioned how good his stat line was, given the injuries he has worked with throughout the season. Satisfied, right? At, in your first game back from injury, but he looked like it, and this was the thing here from la- from last season. What does a healthy Garrett Trader do to this team? A healthy Garrett Trader led Syracuse to a 6-0 and start last season. An unhealthy Garrett Trader was behind center for the majority of a 1-6 and collapse at the end of last season. Garrett, this team, the ceiling of this team will be determined by Garrett Trader's health, Tyler. And 
if there were a few underthrown passes today in his first game back, I'm not panicking, but come Purdue, which can be considered perhaps the biggest test of the season up to that point, or at least the biggest, the first big test of the season, if we're seeing it in that game, then you can start to press the panic button. Well, on the positive end of the Garrett Schrader of how he looks today is that despite a few underthrown passes here or there, Garrett Schrader has slowly evolved from when his first year as a starter at Syracuse, he was running any time he had the opportunity. Today, it was very clear. He was looking to pass. He went through all of his reads. And if nothing was open, then he would run. And so the priority in his head has very much switched from running first to how about we get a few passes first before I even think about, you know, keeping it for myself and staying on the ground. I think that's a big development for him. Now, obviously, if you're going to be passing that much, you need the healthy arm. But I think that mindset will certainly help Schrader because against a lot of these stronger ACC defenses, they're not going to let you get 15 yards up the middle of the field because there's no defender there. There's going to be a defender there. So it it just really gives another dimension to the offense when you're looking immediately to the receivers to send it out and then coming back to the run at the very end because the legs of Garrett Schrader are absolutely an asset, but if you overuse them, that's where it starts to become an issue. And, and Tyler, another thing I'll build off of that is that ACC defenses are much more built and versatile to the point where they can be much more effective against dual-threat quarterbacks than a 3-8 and eight Colgate team from a season ago. So I thought the mix between pass and run from Schrader today was solid. I mean, he still showcased the ability and potentness to get outside the pocket and scramble for big gains downfield. But at the same time, he wasn't totally reliant upon it like he has been in years past. And that's not a recipe for success. It has worn quarterbacks out in both the collegiate and professional levels. It had all the makings of it did all the make it did the same to Schrader two years ago when the Orange got blown out in three straight games to end the season and missed out on a bowl back in twenty twenty one. You you love to see him show it from time to time, but you can't be overly reliant upon it. And he wasn't overly reliant upon it today. He wasn't overly reliant upon it during Syracuse's 6-0 start last season, Tyler. And so now moving to the defensive side of the field, this is where I was the most impressed with what I saw because my biggest concern during the offseason was that I understood there was a lot of talent in the secondary and Rocky Long was a phenomenal coach, but you're getting a new defensive coordinator and you're losing Jahad Carter, Deuce Chestnut, and Garrett Williams. No matter how good the replacements are, that's going to be an issue. And I I don't know if I saw a single mistake from the starting secondary today. There was a pick six. There were forced fumbles. There were recovered fumbles. Elijah Clark went out with an injury. It was concerning for a second, and then he comes back in, recovers a fumble. The, The secondary is just so sticky. There was no Colgate receiver that could consistently get open. And so the secondary can be even 60% this successful against some better competition, I think that puts the defense in scary good territory. Yeah, underrated during last season was the depth of the secondary. When you had guys like Isaiah Johnson, Jeremiah Wilson, who had the pick six today, among others who were capable of making big plays, they didn't get a ton of the spotlight last season because you have 
you had Jihad Carter, you had Gary Williams, you had Deuce Chestnut, all of whom have either gone to one of the best, have either gone pro or to one of the best, one of the best college, college football programs in the country, Jihad to Ohio State, Deuce to LSU. But you had this depth last season that didn't necessarily get the love it deserved because it got masked by the ineffective run defense. But I would say it was it was never a giant concern for me, Tyler, but to see guys like Wilson, Johnson, Jason Simmons, among others, Greg Delane had the pick today, to see those guys start to burst onto the scene, it's a good sign. Well, speaking of things that have been or have been concerns of mine, penalties and discipline has been a concern of mine talking about this Syracuse team. The entire time I've been watching them going back years and years and years. And the numbers don't look too bad. I believe seven penalties for 60 yards is the final stat line for Syracuse today. But it, it's the type of penalties and the situation those penalties came up in where it's fourth and nine for Colgate deep in its own territory. And then Syracuse commits two penalties back to back to give Colgate a first down or there was an offensive personal foul after the whistle blew. There was a defensive unnecessary roughness. They came in bad situations, and it's tough to over-criticize with a a 65-0 win. However, you give better teams opportunities like that, you hand them a first down after a fourth and nine because of penalties, that becomes a real issue. This has long been an issue for Dino Babers. I just, it seems like that nothing's going to change this year. You can't try the same thing over and over again and expect a different result. That's the definition of insanity, Liam. Tyler, I don't know how this is still an issue because over the past, over Dino Baber's entire tenure, really, undisciplined play has been a staple, right? With SU was the most penalized team in the entire FBS last year. And today we saw more of the same. Seven penalties for six yards. While it doesn't look awful, you had two false starts at home on the road. That's a little bit less egregious, but at home, that's unacceptable. And then going off sides on a fourth and four when Colgate was punting to give a, to give up a first down. When you start to play tougher competition, Tyler, that is going to come back to bite you. And I'm not saying that this team is going to be penalized at the levels last year's team was. I'm not saying we're going to have a penalty when you're up by – to double digits against Clemson that's going to turn the tide of the season. I'm not saying the pinstripe bowl is going to end on an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty, but stuff like that is unacceptable, plain and simple. And Tyler, another thing I wanted to bring up, four fumbles today. Only two of them ended up being lost fumbles and turnovers, but four fumbles today. I don't care who's on the field, whether it's your starters or your fortune quarterback. I don't care if it's against Colgate or the Alabama Crimson Tide. That can never happen, period. It, it can't. You know, I'm not going to be – I'm, I'm not as concerned as you are, Liam, because so many of them came late in the game with guys that might not often have the ball in their hands. But it, it's it, in my opinion, that falls similarly to the penalties issue. I think it shows carelessness rather than maybe a ball security issue where late in the game you're not focused enough to just be holding on to the ball tightly. I think it's more of a discipline issue than it necessarily is. I'm concerned that there will be a lot of fumbles this year. 
I just think in general, it seems as though this team is as undisciplined as it ever has been. Just wrapping things up here, moving towards one final topic. Going forward, there were a few teams that Syracuse plays later in the season that struggled. And this weekend, uh, there was a loss to Fresno State by Purdue. A lot of people thought Purdue might be a very difficult game for Syracuse, probably still will be. But lost to Fresno State, Boston College lost to Northern Illinois. So Boston College might be even worse than we thought this year. Uh, based on Syracuse's opponents today and based on how Syracuse itself played today, are your general predictions and expectations for the team that you're changing at all? Tyler, these were two of the games that you look at as games you probably need to win if the Orange are going to make a bowl, right? Because assuming they beat Western Michigan and Army, which is a big assumption, which is a big assumption, you're at three, then assuming you don't beat any of Clemson, North Carolina, or Florida State, you have six games left to work with. Purdue, Boston College, Virginia Tech, Pittsburgh at Yankee Stadium, Georgia Tech and Wake Forest. Tyler, to be honest, I could see all six of those games going either way. And it's certainly – it has to make you feel a little bit better to see Purdue lose to Fresno State and Boston College lose to Northern Illinois, these run-of-the-mill, lower-tier lower FBS teams that you would pull your hairs out if Syracuse lost to. But you can't take too much stock in it because it's week one. Syracuse plays Purdue in West Lafayette. That's a difficult place to play um, in primetime on NBC as well. And Boston College is going to come in juiced after what happened at the end of last year's regular season game. Neither of those games are particularly easy matchups. So in the grand scheme of things, Tyler, it's encouraging, but not too encouraging. Well, Liam, thank you for coming on and joining me. It was a 65-0 win for Syracuse over Colgate today, the largest win and the highest point total of the Dino Babers era. I'm Tyler Aiken, joined by Liam Griffin, signing off for today. Thanks for joining, joining us here with uh, Fizz Nation.